In this episode, I'm going to be talking all about comprehensible input, not just what it is and how to do it, but really where it comes from, because it's actually been around for over 40 years and started with research by Dr. Stephen Krashen in the late 1970s and early 80s as part of a much larger theory of language acquisition. So stick around because there's a lot to look into to really understand where it comes from, how we're using it now, if it's still beneficial, and if we should still keep doing it. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I'm Joshua Cabral, and thank you so much for being here every week to look at your teaching, hear what's going on in other classrooms, what's going on out there in the language teaching research world and the practitioner world, and to look in your own classroom and see, you know, what could you be doing maybe a little differently, be reassured that what you're doing is on the right track. All of that is wonderful. It's what makes you an awesome educator. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your week to be here to engage in all of these conversations with me and the guests that I have on this podcast. While I have your attention, real quickly, I always like you to take a look at that app that you're on. Make sure that you're pressing subscribe or follow, whatever it's asking you to do to make sure that every Monday you get these episodes downloaded right to your app on your phone. What I want to do in this episode is talk all about comprehensible input. You know, CI is often as we see it talked about and we see it written in blog posts and around on social media. So this whole idea of comprehensible input, sort of where does it, where does it come from? Everyone's talking about it, but what is really behind it? How long has it been around? Is it something new? You know, have we been talking about this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Where does it come from? What are the actual research findings behind it so that you are equipped in your classroom and in your teaching practice to really understand why you might be doing this comprehensible input approach or methodology and to really understand why why you're doing it. So we're going to take some steps back to say, okay, where does this come from? How does it work so that we fundamentally understand why we're doing it? And maybe you might think, oh, well, that's a good reason to be doing it. Or, huh, I didn't really realize that that was part of it. Hmm, maybe I want to think about this in a different way. So let's start by making sure we understand what this comprehensible input topic is all about. So it's essentially a concept, a critical concept, really, for a second language development. Comprehensible input means that a student should be able to understand the essence of what's being said or presented to them, not necessarily everything. So this does not mean that teachers must use only words that students understand. In fact, instruction can be comprehensible even when students don't know 
all of the words. So students learn a new language best when they receive input that's just a bit more difficult than they can easily understand. That's what comprehensible input is. So in other words, students must understand most but not all of the words that they are hearing. So this is what we refer to in the literature and Stephen Krashen as I plus one, which we'll be getting back to. But that's the essence of what comprehensible input is. Not understanding everything, but enough of it to make meaning of it and to make meaning of the parts that we might not totally understand as language learners. So this idea of comprehensible input actually does not exist on its own in a vacuum as one thing. It's actually part of an entire hypothesis that Stephen Krashen had put out in the late 1970s, early 80s, and it's been honed since then. So it's only one part of the hypothesis that we've sort of latched onto as language teachers. So Stephen Krashen refers to this as his monitor model or his input hypothesis. So there are actually five individual yet somewhat interrelated theories, and comprehensible input is just one of them. So as we're doing this comprehensible input, if we really want to buy into it, if we really want to believe that it's useful, we should be looking at all five of these components of the original theory as it was put out there. So I'm going to go through what those five components are, and you'll see how the comprehensible input lies in the, in the midst of the rest of the theories. So the first thing to look at is what Krashen calls the acquisition learning hypothesis. So strict separation between acquisition and learning. That's what this is all about, like separating this idea of acquiring language and learning language. So Stephen Krashen saw and continues to see acquisition as a subconscious process and learning as a conscious process. So he's claimed that improvement in language ability is dependent upon acquisition and not on learning. So it's all about getting that language to that subconscious level and to not stay at the conscious level. So learning is conscious level and acquisition is subconscious level. So acquisition learning hypothesis is the first part of it. Now, the second thing to look at is actually his input hypothesis, which is where we get the whole idea of comprehensible input from. And as you might imagine, that states that learners progress in their knowledge of language when they comprehend the language input that's slightly more advanced than their current level. And as I mentioned earlier, Stephen Krashen calls this I plus one, whereas I is the learner's interlanguage, their current subconscious understanding and acquisition of language. And the plus one is that next stage of language acquisition that's just beyond. So that's the input hypothesis. And that is this whole idea of comprehensible input has really focused on this one part of the monitor model. So now the third part to look at is what Krashen refers to as the affective filter hypothesis. So this states that the learner's ability to acquire language is constrained if they're experiencing negative emotions such as fear or embarrassment in the language acquisition process. So at those times, their affective filter is said to be up. So therefore, the 
idea of comprehending or understanding language is inhibited when they have high fear or high levels of embarrassment or they're uncomfortable with the language. So what we want to do is lower that affective filter so there's less of a barrier to the language being understood. And the fourth part of the monitor model is the natural order hypothesis. So this says that language is acquired in a particular order and that this order does not change between learners and is not affected at all by explicit instruction. So that that unconscious language is going to be acquired in a natural and consistent order regardless of any sort of explicit instruction that sort of the exposure and to that I plus one, to that comprehensible input through that process that the language will be acquired and that language elements, things such as syntax, grammatical structures, are going to be acquired in a particular order, and it is the natural order that they will happen amongst all learners, regardless of how they're going about language learning. And then the fifth part of this whole hypothesis is the monitor hypothesis, which is where the name of all of these theories comes from. He calls it his monitor monitor model. So the monitor hypothesis says that consciously learned language, remember that's learned, not subconscious, because that would be acquired. So consciously learned language can only be used to monitor language output. So it's at the conscious level. So when language is coming out from the subconscious level, that language that's learned on the conscious level can then sort of monitor it. So it's a monitoring function, and it's the practical result of learned grammar. But it can never be a source of spontaneous speech. Spontaneous speech is always going to come from the acquired language, that subconscious part of the brain. So the monitor is all of those learned conscious functions. And so the acquisition system initiates and the learned system is what monitors or edits the language that's coming out. I know it's very theoretical. And there are certain conditions that Crashen puts out there for the monitor to be able to work. And the first thing is the learner has to have sufficient time because they have to think on a very conscious level about the the language that's coming out to be able to edit it. So you have to have time to do that. So it's not going to be sort of a quick in the process sort of conversational use. And it's focus on form or to think about correctness. That's what they're doing. They're focusing on the form and they have time to think about correctness. And then they have to actually know what the rule is. So what we can see is it's not a very incredibly natural way of speaking when you're using this monitor. So in my impression or my understanding of it, it seems that the monitor would be useful in terms of writing, uh, where you're able to take the time to think and to actually edit the writing based on the rules that you know. But the spontaneous writing that initially happens would come from that subconscious place. So a quick recap of Stephen Krashen's monitor model or his input hypothesis that they are five individual yet interrelated theories 
And comprehensible input is just one of them. So if you really want to embrace this whole idea of CI, comprehensible input, really be thinking about all of the different components that happen around it. We have the acquisition learning hypothesis. There's acquired language and learned language, and they're not the same. So there's a different theory of how acquisition happens and how learning happens. Then there's the input hypothesis, which is the I plus one. So making language comprehensible so that it is acquired. There's the affective filter hypothesis, where you are lowering the affective filter so that students are more comfortable in the language learning environment. Then there's the natural order hypothesis, that explicit instruction is not going to change that natural order. It is going to happen between learners in the same way within a given language. And then there's the monitor hypothesis, where students can use that learned language on the conscious level to monitor the spontaneous language that comes out of their subconscious from that acquired system. So anytime we put theories out there to look at how we teach and what we can use for our teaching, we have to look at it really as a theoretical process. So if it is being posited that this is going to be useful, we have to perhaps look at the criticism in it and then also the support for it so that we are not just accepting it because everyone's doing it, but so that we can fundamentally say that I'm doing this in my classroom because I am truly convinced of its effectiveness because of what this research has said. So if we just look back at the fact that, you know, we've had these theories from Krashen since the late 70s, so a little over 40 years now. So what has happened in language learning and language teaching in the last 40 years. So initially, when Krashen published, there was some criticism. That's what happens when you put theories out there, you just have to be ready for it. There are always going to be those that are going to look into it, do a deep dive into the research and figure it out. And there was some initial criticism. You know, so if we look back in 1984, so this was soon after uh, Krashen put his initial thoughts out there from the research. So in 1984, Greg, a fellow researcher in the field, just simply put out that it the whole theory bypasses any counter evidence. It just didn't really look at the alternatives or any evidence that showed that that wasn't the case for, say, the natural order, or that wasn't the case for the learning and the acquisition hypothesis. So basically, when it was originally put out there, that there wasn't really looking at the counter evidence, it was just showing evidence that supported it, which, of course, is what a lot of researchers are going to do because they are looking to prove their claims. Then we had also in 1987 uh, McLaughlin, who was again saying that Krashen does not provide evidence in any real sense of the term, but simply argues that certain phenomena can be viewed from the perspective of his theory. So McLaughlin's claiming that Krashen was not really providing any evidence uh, that all of this works, and it really just did stay in that theoretical realm. 
and then all the way into 2000, so you were looking at maybe 20 years after Krashen originally published, we had Brown who said that Krashen's theory of second language acquisition is oversimplified, and the claims he made are overstated. So you can see that a lot of the criticism is that it was too theoretical and not really looking at the details of how to implement it in the classroom. So those were the criticisms for it. But as we all know, everyone is talking about comprehensible input and this whole world of CI right now. So despite some of those early criticisms, there is support for this as well. And one study that I would like to draw your attention to in support of Krashen's original theories on language acquisition is a study by Lichtman and Van Patten. And this was very recent in 2021. And it was titled, Was Krashen Right 40 Years Later? So looking at 40 years after the original publication of these theories, was Krashen right? What's happening right now? And what they point out in their findings in this study is that the ideas have evolved, but they are still driving second language acquisition research today. So they might not look exactly like they did when Krashen first put them out in the late 70s, early 80s, but they're still driving our research today. And unfortunately, they are often unacknowledged and using new terminology pulls the focus from it. But what Lichtman and Van Patten really show us is that the original idea of Krashen of the acquisition learning distinction of those things that are subconsciously acquired or consciously learned has been sort of rebranded in modern, more modern research and classroom practice as the discussion between implicit versus explicit teaching. And there's a lot of talk about how grammar is done in the classroom. And is it implicit or explicit learning when it comes to grammar? And that's really been driven by that original idea of the acquisition learning distinction. So it did start with Krashen being one of the first ones to put that out there. We've just rebranded it as something different, a different name, but it's still sort of happening. And then there's also the idea of ordered development, which is happening now. There's like this natural order of language development and acquisition, which looks a lot like the natural order hypothesis that Krashen put out 40 years ago. But again, rebranded, not called the natural order hypothesis, looked at natural orders of development. And then we have communicatively embedded input is huge in our classrooms right now. We want to have communicative classrooms where all of the vocabulary and structures are embedded into a context and that the input is understandable and comprehensible to students, comprehensible input, which is exactly the input hypothesis that Krashen was talking about there were those initial criticisms that it was too much of a theory and not very practical for the classroom or that it bypassed the evidence of what it didn't do. What we find in the Lickman and Van Patten study 40 years later is even though it might not have been very specific 20, 30, 40 years ago as it was originally being implemented, 
What we're seeing now is how much it has driven current second language acquisition research. And again, just being rebranded into different ideas or different names, different terminology. But we really have Krashen to thank for having these ideas to even look at for our classrooms right now. If you'd like to dive deeper into that research article by Lichtman and Van Patten, was Crash and Write 40 years later, I'm going to direct you to an episode of the Motivated Classroom podcast with Liam Printer, because he actually had both of those researchers on his podcast, and they did a whole episode about their research and looking at the ideas of Crashin' 40 Years Later. And I believe the title of that uh, episode was Translating Second Language Acquisition Research into Motivational Practice with Dr. Karen Lichtman and Dr. Bill Van Patten. So I'm going to put that in the show notes so that you can hear directly from them their thoughts on Crashin' 40 Years Later. So now let's bring this all together. So we started by looking at the fact that this whole idea of comprehensible input is that I plus one, that the language is just beyond the current understanding and that you have to use the language that you do understand to make sense of the parts that you don't. And that's what's going to help with language development. That's what comprehensible input is. And then we looked at the fact that it was just one of five parts of Krashen's overall theory in his monitor model. And we looked at some of the criticism of it. And then 40 years later, what we saw from that most recent research study is a lot of those ideas are alive and well, and they have really driven our current practice in the classroom and research efforts. So as always, I like to come back to the fundamentals of what we can agree on in second language acquisition rather than individual methods. So rather than saying, should I be doing comprehensible input? Is it beneficial? Or should I really be focusing on the acquisition learning hypothesis? Let's remember that we want to come back to our fundamentals and not latch on to any one method to go all in with. So there are parts that will work for you and your students, and perhaps others won't. You know your students, the dynamic of your classroom, but whatever you're doing, just know that you have some backing behind it, that you're not just trying it out, that you can have some reasoning and some explanation and reassurance that you're doing something because it is backed up by research or data of some form. So I'll also recommend that you look back at episode 16 of this podcast where I talked about the teacher-researcher relationship and what we as teachers can do with research and if it's useful for us or not. And just remember, all of it together, anything you're listening to on this podcast, any kind of ideas or research or what teachers are doing is that if it meets your goals for your students, you are on the right track. And if you can find some ways to tweak something, do it a little different, maybe improve it in some way or stop doing something that maybe you're realizing isn't as beneficial, that is the most ideal thing you can do. 
I never want to put anything out there as this one method, go all in with it. But I want you to find things that you hear either from me or other teachers on this podcast and you say, yes, I can latch on to that. I'm going to try that in my classroom. And so as you're hearing a little bit more about this whole idea of comprehensible input and how it's tied to an overall theory from Krashen, there might be other parts of it that you want to look into. So hopefully this is giving you some ideas to think about comprehensible input in a little bit of a different way. Be sure to check out the show notes so that you can see links to what I have talked about in this podcast, including a link to the Motivated Classroom podcast to hear that interview with Dr. Lichtman and Dr. Van Patten about Stephen Krashen four years later. And also you'll see the link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and tools for language learning, and also ways to get in touch with me if you would like to work together. I'd be happy to come to your school and work with your teachers, or we can do it remotely starting to get out in the world a little more, doing some travel now that the world is opening up, working in schools face-to-face with teachers, really enjoying that, but also doing a lot of remote work as well. So be sure to check out all of that, and hopefully we'll be working together real soon, okay? Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, WLClassroom.com.